We've been in a series on the book of Colossians, and I think it's fitting that God set things up for us to be walking through this New Testament letter during this season because Paul was separated from a church that he wanted to be close to physically, but he had to settle in that moment for just being close spiritually. Paul was in a prison cell in Rome writing to a church that he had actually never visited and that he did not even start. But he's writing them this letter to encourage them in their faith and to build them up because they're doing great, but there's some things that they need to be warned about, and that's exactly what we're going to see as we continue in this journey that we're calling the supremacy of Jesus. The chief idea in all of Colossians, and I would say in all of the Bible, is the supremacy of Jesus. Jesus is greater. Jesus wins. And Paul gives us one of the most amazing pictures of that in Colossians chapter 1. And that's why our guide to Colossians that so many of you have come by 323 Airport Road and picked up outside or ordered online for $5, we will ship it to you. We wanted you to be able to journey with some other people in our church through the New Testament letter to Colossians focused on the supremacy of Jesus. And we're going to continue in our journey right now. If you have your Bible, would you hold it up right where you are? For the limited number of people that are in this room, would you hold it up right where you are? Look around at everybody in the room who did not bring their Bible and give them a little Christian judgmental stare like, okay, I brought mine to church at home. Where is it? Go find it. Turn with me to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. As you're turning there, I just want to take a second to say, I miss you. And I don't like preaching like this. I'm so grateful that God has given us the opportunity to still be able to gather and grateful for technology. But I do not want to be standing in front of a camera right now telling you to hold up your Bible. I miss the sight of thousands of Bibles being held up in the air confidently. Many of you, not just confident in God's word, but confident you're going to get a date. And I miss it so much. And I think I took for granted the, pow- the power of our gatherings together. And as weeks have turned in to week after week of not getting together, even in this moment, as I tell you to hold your Bible up, I want you to know uh, we miss being with you. We miss seeing your faces. Many of you are lonely right now, and I don't like that we can't just be together and help you know that you're not alone in facing these days. And so please know your church family is for you. There are people praying for you. There are people battling for you. And when we start Colossians chapter 2, you're going to see that Paul is fighting hard for a church that he couldn't be with physically. Colossians chapter 2 we're going to be in verse 1. I'm going to read 10 verses, and we're going to dive into all God has for us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. Come on. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not met me personally, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. That's exactly where we are right now, church. Verse 6. So then... 
just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Wow. Paul says, I want you to know I'm fighting for you. I'm fighting for a church that's really close by to you, but I'm also fighting for you. I'm contending for you. And my goal in writing this letter to you is twofold, that you would be encouraged in heart and that you would be united in love. Paul's like, I know you need encouragement. I know you're doing really well, but you also need to be spurred on. And you also need to make sure that you're united because Paul was well aware that just because a church is doing well at one moment doesn't mean that they're not susceptible to lies seeping in. And 2,000 years ago, what was really common in the Greco-Roman world is for this system of thinking, this philosophy called Gnosticism to sort of slowly seep its way into the life of a church. And that's what was happening to multiple churches that Paul had leadership over. And so he warns them. He's like, I don't want you to start believing lies that are rooted in this world, that are rooted in philosophies that are separate than Christ. Now, Gnosticism teaches that there is a special knowledge for a chosen few about the divine. And so 2,000 years ago, what was happening is that people believed only a select few had this special revelation of who God was. And so you either needed them to teach you, and you'd probably have to pay them, or you needed to go through some type of process of suffering to gain the knowledge that they had gained. And Paul says, no, 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 all the treasures of wisdom are found in Christ. It is not the pursuit of knowledge that has you arrive at a special level spiritually. It is the pursuit of knowledge of Jesus. It's a relational knowledge, not simply more philosophy. I don't know if you've ever seen this happen to any of your friends or anybody that you know, but it's like one moment they're close to Jesus, and then the next moment they're exploring everything that's ever been written about science and philosophy and religion, and they come to you and they go, I don't, I don't really know what I believe. I don't really know what's going through my mind. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. Their mind is being taken captive by the pursuit of enlightenment and freedom, but what's really happening is that they're getting in bondage to lies. True knowledge of who God is doesn't come through the pursuit of knowing more about God. True knowledge about who God is comes from the pursuit of Jesus relationally. And Paul's going, you guys are doing great. I'm fighting for you, but I just want to warn you, there's some rumors going around about how you're supposed to pursue God, and I want to protect you guys. I want to make sure you're united in love. I want to make sure you're encouraged in heart. And as he continues to protect them, he rolls down to verse 9. And this is where I want us to live, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And he says this, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Wow. But Paul talks all about, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. I don't want you to fall into any lies. Here's the truth. Here's the ultimate truth of all the universe. In Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Holy Spirit. That statement's a big deal. That's a huge deal. That means that in Jesus, the fullness of God was placed in a human body. 
And then he ends it by saying he is the head over every power and authority. What Paul's basically doing is recapping everything he said so far in Colossians. That Jesus is the fullness of God. Jesus is the reason for creation. Jesus is the one who created everything. He is everything that is true about God. He is the highest power. He is the highest authority. The supremacy of Jesus reigns over all. Yet, he places this little statement right in the middle of it. And if you weren't paying close attention, you might not have even caught it. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. It's powerful. What Paul's doing there is he's connecting the supremacy of Jesus over all things to the sufficiency of Jesus in all things. And this is a relationship that I want us to pay really close attention to. So we've talked a lot about the supremacy of Jesus over and over and over again. We've been saying he is supreme. Jesus wins. But what I want to do is just change up the title a little bit and give you the title of my sermon today. Today's, not tonight, today's message from Colossians is titled, The Sufficiency of Jesus. Somebody say sufficiency. Sufficiency. You might have just spit on your neighbor because that's a tough word to say without something coming out of your mouth. When what you know to be true about Jesus doesn't feel real on the inside, the sufficiency of Jesus is being tested from within you. And it's easy to believe in the supremacy of Jesus in your mind without recognizing that the supremacy of Jesus as a belief equals the sufficiency of Jesus through a season. And when I think we get tested like we're being tested in the season that we're in right now, it's easy for us to make claims about how supreme and all-powerful God is and claim trust in him without realizing that the sufficiency of Jesus is what God is trying to do as well from within us. Paul says, in him, you have been brought to fullness. What's he doing there? He's relating the fact that Jesus is king over all to the fact that Jesus becomes the king of your heart and fills up all the empty space on the inside of your soul. He's enough. He's fulfillment. He'll carry you through. And since all of this happened over the course of the last couple of weeks, I have noticed that I have been holding on to the supremacy of Jesus so strong, but not realizing the turmoil that my heart has been in because I'm being tested, and I think we're being tested to continue to believe that Jesus is enough. Here's what I mean. If I were to define the supremacy of Jesus, I would define it with a simple statement. Jesus is greater. That's the supremacy of Jesus. So it means like nothing gets higher than Jesus. Nothing happens outside of his control. And when you experience the supremacy of Jesus, it's usually in a moment that is so powerful and kind of strikes awe on the inside of your soul. I'm thinking about when the disciples heard Jesus calm the wind and the waves, what did they say? They said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're noticing that there's an order to everything and Jesus alone is at the top. Jesus is greater. Jesus wins. And that's an amazing revelation. That's something that we discover in moments of worship. That's something that for many of you, you can remember the moment in your life that you decided, Jesus, I want to follow you because I believe you're greater than all. Those are powerful moments. Those are sometimes miraculous moments. They're awesome. But they're usually moments. See, the sufficiency of Jesus is equally as important as the supremacy of Jesus. If supremacy is Jesus is greater, sufficiency is Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And 
The problem with learning that Jesus is enough is that you don't learn that in moments. You learn that through seasons. You learn that when you're tested. And since all of this happened, I have been repeating to myself that Jesus is greater than this. He's greater than this. Many of you know a couple weeks ago when we first did church online following everything that happened from the coronavirus, the message was called God is greater. And the purpose of that talk was to make sure you know, though he is greater than this sickness, he is greater than the moment that you're in right now. Trust me, God is greater. Trust the scriptures. God is greater than this. And that's awesome. But this week, I'll just be honest with you, I was depleted. I had read so many news stories that were making me feel like, wow, it just feels like every day our situation is getting worse. And I'm not trying to take the book of Colossians and pretend like it was written to us in 2020 in response to the coronavirus. Please know that. I'm just trying to read the word of God and understand where our people are right now. These are unprecedented times. And so I'm reading this and I'm going, what is happening? Because I know Jesus is greater than this. I know we'll be in heaven one day. I know that there's a lot going on across the world and a lot going on in our own community. And I know he's greater, but that doesn't mean that I'm okay. And I read a story after reading 10 different stories that day and I had had it. I got in my car and basically slammed my hand down on the dashboard and said, God, what are you doing? What is happening? And that's because... In seasons of difficulty and in storms where you don't understand how you're going to get out, in valleys when you don't know when it's going to be over, what's being tested on the inside of you is not just whether or not Jesus is greater. It's really whether or not Jesus is enough for you. And God didn't answer all of my questions, as I'm sure in your prayer life you're experiencing right now. God didn't give me a magical verse that just kind of solved everything. I felt the spirit of God from within me, and that's possible, by the way. Christ in you, the hope of glory, can speak to you. I felt the spirit of God say, is Jesus enough? Is he really enough? And even if you believe the answer to that question is yes, you'll never really experience the answer to that question unless you've gone through a process. And one of the problems that I'm noticing in our faith family and in Christianity right now is I think a lot of us are rushing to process something that is going to take time. So there's the immediate effects that we've seen from COVID-19, which are massive amounts of sickness, moments and scenes from all over the world in hospitals and in homes that you don't ever want to see, you don't ever want to hear about. The number of deaths and the number of cases is just rising and rising and rising. And that alone is hard to even read about. And on top of that, we've talked over and over again about the economic aftermath of that and people are losing their jobs. People in our faith family are having to lay people off and people are in uncertain times financially like never before in their lives. And we, we, we tend to hit on those two things and miss out on the fact that we are experiencing a global pandemic that is disorienting people in epic proportions. Not just what we think about when we think about sick people and people who are losing jobs and people who we need to be praying for who are on the front lines of this. We got first responders, we got doctors, we got nurses, we got people who are needing to be prayed up every single day to face what they are facing. I'm not demeaning that at all, but I think there's been a tendency during this season to sort of rush everybody to process what they're going through because it's like, well, at least we're not them. Like, we're not sick. We're not going to die from this or I'm not on the front lines fighting it. So I'm just going to pray for them and be grateful for the life that I have and stand in the gap in that moment. And I think what we're doing to a lot of people is we're rushing them through a process that God is trying to take them through. There are people who are disoriented in this 
going through things that have nothing to do with what's going on out there. You know, I heard a, I heard a pastor say last week, I love this, I thought this was brilliant. He said, we're all going through the same storm, but we're not all in the same boat. So it's the same circumstance. It's the same thing happening all around. But some of us are looking at the storm from a cruise ship. And we're sitting on the inside going, man, it is getting really, really, really bad out there. It is like crazy. I've never seen a storm like this. But you're sitting inside and you feel bad for even trying to process your perspective because you're looking out there and you see a speedboat and you're going, I'm so Whoa, we need to pray for them. We need to, we need to lean in for them. And then the guy on the speedboat is over there going, I don't even know if this boat is going to make it above water. I don't know if I'm going to survive this, but I'm surely glad that I'm not the one who's over there on the kayak. That guy looks like he's not even going to survive. And that family looks like they're going through something that's so much worse. And what we're doing is we're comparing perspectives with other people and we're shutting down our ability to process this and let Jesus prove that he is enough and fill us from within. And so I just want to tell you, whatever your perspective is of this, you do not need to apologize for that. We need to have empathy on what everybody is going through in this moment. Don't get me wrong. But we also need to have a personal permission to process these moments for ourselves. We have hundreds of college students who were expecting to come back to Auburn, Alabama and finish their senior year and graduate with their friends and go through a major life transition a certain way. And you are completely uprooted from your ability to end this season well and head into the next one. You're disoriented right now. You don't even really know where you are. And you feel bad for even saying that because you're reading the news and you know well, what they're going through. I just need to, I just need to make it through. There's people who have to reschedule their wedding. That's a big deal. That's painful. There's people in our church who have been in the same room or in the same home for multiple weeks. They've had to have groceries dropped off at their door because they're at risk. And they're more lonely than they've ever been before in their life. And it's not enough to just tell those people, hey, you're still breathing. Hey, you're still alive. You're going to make it to live to see another day. Just be grateful. God is greater. I believe what Jesus wants to do is invite you into a relational process of proving how he can internally fill you because he's externally greater than all. you got to connect the two. So I just want to give you permission in this moment as your pastor to grieve. I want to give you permission to be frustrated. I want to give you permission to tell God how you really feel. And I want to give you the ultimate permission to stand in the gap for other people who are suffering. I believe the common work that God is doing through this storm, regardless of what your perspective is, is he is uprooting stuff from people's lives to do a deep work of devotion across our world. We have literally shut down gatherings in churches all over the world, but we've also had to shut down sporting events. We've had to shut down businesses. I feel like the shutdown is just leading to more shutdowns, more shutdowns. And I believe what God is doing during this time is he is testing Christians to their core and giving them an opportunity to experience the fullness of devotion to him. Is Jesus enough? 
And I just want to tell you from my life personally, I've sang songs saying, Christ, you are enough for me. I have sang songs saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. But it's only on the back end of going through certain valleys and storms that I actually know Jesus is someone who I don't just say I believe in on Sundays, but he's someone who means something to me because he walked with me through that. And you're walking with Jesus through this. I just want to tell you, if you're in the middle of the valley, in the middle of the storm, that's where you are right now. And some kind of hype message or one worship song is not going to make that go away in this moment. What is going to help you in this moment is the invitation that you have to experience fullness on the inside from Jesus himself. And so I want to give you sort of one sentence that will tell you what we're trying to do today, and then I want to tell you how to do it. Here it is. Believing in the supremacy of Jesus means trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus. The two go hand in hand. If you believe that Jesus is supreme, if you believe he's greater than all, if you believe he died to save you from your sins, he rose again to give you eternal life, and he fills you on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's amazing. You're a Christian. Here's what that means. It means you trust Jesus to be enough even when you're tempted to doubt. It means you trust him when you're in a moment where you're going, I am so lonely, I don't know if I want to wake up tomorrow. It means you trust him when things get dark financially. It means you hold on to your hope even when you're having to hope against hope. So how do you do that? One of my least favorite Christian cliches is trust God. Because everybody in the room silently is hurting within, especially those that struggle with anxiety because they're going, how? Uh, trust God, man. Like, stop worrying about it. Trust God. He's going to carry you through this. Hey, just trust God. We're going to bounce back from this. The, the, the economy is going to get flowing, and we got good leaders. And Just trust God. Just trust God. And what it starts to become is just a Christian phrase that secretly drives Christians crazy because they just want to stomp their feet and go, I'm trying. How do I actually do that? And what I want to do is I want to take what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I want to apply it to what it means to trust God to be sufficient from within. I want to tell you, how do I trust in the sufficiency of Jesus when I don't understand what he is doing? Is this helping anybody? One of the reasons why I can't stand you guys not being in the same room is I feed off of your feedback, and you're not giving me feedback. I'm just looking into a camera, and so I'm trusting that you're in your living room, you're on the couch, and you're going, amen, I agree. I am feeling that in spirit from Auburn, Alabama right now. How do I trust the sufficiency of Jesus? My three points are three words, simple words. Number one is remembrance, remembrance. Somebody say remember. I say, remember, one of the most helpful things you can do when you're in the middle of a valley is recall the last time you were in the middle of a valley and how God brought you through. We read straight through this verse. I haven't talked about it yet because I've been saving it for this moment. Go back to verse 6 if you're in Colossians 2. Go back to it. Paul said, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I love this. Paul believes one of the best ways to safeguard your faith over time is to not overcomplicate things from the original moment that you got saved. He wants you to be restored to the joy of your salvation. And he wants you to recall and go all the way back to your original commitment to Jesus. Why? Because every time you do that, you're recalling the faithfulness of God over the course of time. When he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. This is a simple message about trust. 
rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. How do I strengthen my faith? Overflowing with thankfulness. You know, you never graduate from gratitude. Thanking God for what he's done in a previous season could be the fuel that you need to face your current season. So when we say trust God, one of the first things we're saying is we got to have a practice of active remembrance because there's going to be moments like the one we're in right now where we're tempted to believe, I don't know how this is all going to end and I don't know if we're going to make it through this and be okay. Here's what you need to know. As powerful as coronavirus is and as vast as some of the results are that we're reading every single day, I just want you to know you've been here before. I want you to know you've been in seasons and situations where you didn't know whether or not God was going to come through and then he came through. And now you need to be recalling those moments more than ever. You need to be going back to those moments when you're like, no, it kind of seems crazy that in that moment, I didn't know how it was all going to play out and God came through. You know what you need to do? You need to draw on that faithfulness and hold on to it in what you're currently facing. And before you think that this is just hype, this is just some kind of tactic to make ourselves feel better. Please know when you read the Bible, this is God's primary method to meet his people when they are intimidated. Why do you think when you read the Old Testament, everybody always reaches back to when God parted the sea for Moses? It's like, remember, remember, we're going to forget. Hey, remember, we were in front of a sea, and we didn't know how we were going to get across. It was an army about to chase us, and if he did not part that sea, we were not going to make it. So you just read a few chapters later in your Bible When God calls Joshua to take Moses' place, did you know Joshua had a job of taking Israel into a promised land that was totally inhabited by people more powerful than the Israelites? And God's promise to Joshua was, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. Here's why I need you to know that, Joshua. I need you to know that because you're going to come up on a city called Jericho, and the walls are going to be huge. And when I tell you to walk around the walls and just sing some worship songs, you're going to be really confused. But here's why you shouldn't be confused. You need to think about that time you guys were up against the sea, and you didn't know how you were going to make it through. And God, I came through on your behalf, and you walked through on dry ground. you got to be able to recall that moment to be able to stand in this moment and go, okay, this one makes no sense, and it doesn't look like you're going to come through, and I don't know how you're going to make it, but I trust you, God. you got to remember, and you got to have a practice in your life of being able to go, you know what, this battle looks really daunting and really intimidating, but I've been through some stuff, and I've seen God move, and your willingness to do that, your willingness to trust God in this moment will be the story that you remember and write for your next moment. So I want to call our church right now. I want to call you into thinking about the future. What do you want to think about? What do you want to talk about when you tell people about what God did in your life during COVID-19? What do you want to say? What most of you will say is I was freaking out. I was frantic. I was fearful. I didn't think we were going to make it. And I'm so glad that it's over. But the story that will glorify Jesus the most is the story of Jesus' sufficiency. It's real. It's in the process. You don't have to lie. You don't have to be fake. But what if the story was, I was confused, I was flustered, I was tempted to be fearful, but in the middle of totally not knowing how God was going to come through, 
I held on to him like never before, and now Jesus is someone who is more than a guy I sing songs to on Sundays and read a few verses about. He is a lifeline from within me. He has moved in my life. You know what this season is going to be? I'm just going to speak this over your life, believing it in faith. I believe the moment that you're sitting in right now is going to be a story that you're going to tell your children. I believe they're going to tell their children. I believe God is going to start a legacy during these days where it's okay that you're confused and it's okay that you're processing and it's okay that you're questioning. But the legacy of this moment that is going to go into the file called remembrance moving forward is going to be a legacy of faith. You know, the night before Jesus died, why in the world would he pass out bread? Why would he hold up a cup of wine and say, this is my blood shed for you. He separates the bread. This is my body broken for you. He did that physically because he wanted us to know, you have to remember, you're going to forget. And Paul tells the church at Colossae, oh my gosh, you just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I know it sounds cliche, we got to be counting our blessings during these days. Remember the blessings God has given you. Last week we talked about how the spirit of God is breath. I've never been more grateful for every time I inhale. As I've watched some of the videos and scenes of ventilators and the sounds of what this virus causes. I'm so grateful. You're going to have to recall those things and remember, remember, remember. He's good. Remember, he's faithful. He's enough. Is Jesus enough? Yes. But it starts with Remembrance. Somebody say remember. Number two, number two. We got remembrance and then we got encouragement. Encouragement. This is one of my favorite words. And it's a word that is highly misunderstood. Because when you think of what it means to encourage somebody, most of you right now are just thinking about saying some compliments to another person to make them feel better. But that's actually not what it means to encourage. The word encourage is a literal word. It literally means to impart courage into another. You're not just complimenting somebody else. You're taking courage and you're putting it on the inside of their life knowing that they need it. And that's what Paul said the church in Colossae needed. Look at verse 2. My goal, what's Paul's goal in writing this letter? Why is he writing about the supremacy of Jesus? My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Being encouraged in your heart is not a luxury of the Christian life. It's a need. And it's a need that I think so many of you are feeling right now in a way you've never felt before. We need encouragement. We need to be spurred on in our faith. And so I want to call our church to be encouraging one another in heart, uniting in love. How do we do that? Well, we're going to have to go to some means that involve technology. You're going to have to plug into the life of this church outside of Sundays because we need it bad. And some of the most heartbreaking statistics that I'm reading right now have little to do with a sickness and more to do with the aftermath. I don't want to depress you as you're watching this, especially those of you who are gathered on a Sunday and you need an uplifting message, but I want to give you more bad news. Since COVID-19 hit, suicide attempts and pornography use have gone through the roof. And I assume that the same is true for alcohol and drug use. I mean, if you could see the graphs, massive increase. You want to know why? People are alone enemy is using isolation to make people turn 
to self-medication to make themselves feel better. You know what they need? They need a Christian community of encouragement, and that's why it makes me so mad that we can't walk into 323 Airport Road and throw our arms around each other and remind each other that we're not alone. So you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to fight harder to encourage one another. We're going to have to take time every day and think of five people that you're going to encourage. And that's not just, hey, I like that picture that you posted a few days ago. No, 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 no. If we're going to impart courage into another, you've got to build someone up from within and remind them, hey, I see this quality in you. God is using this in you. And you've got to take it a step further than you normally would. And some of you are like, man, I, I need encouragement right now. How am I going to encourage somebody else? You know the fastest way to receive encouragement is to give encouragement? This is how the kingdom of God works. The fastest way to receive in the kingdom of God is to give away. And when you live like this, God has a way of circling everything back around right into your lap. We have to be a church that encourages. And if you need encouragement right now, I would encourage you, send out, I would encourage you, send out some encouragement to five people before the end of this day. My goal is that they be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouragement produces a unity around love. We've never been more divided all over the place, church. Our unity is going to depend on our relational connection to one another. And as much as I love these moments that we get where we're united in a moment, watching screens and hearing from the same teaching from the Bible, I need you. I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know if this is going to go past Easter. I don't know when we're going to have to stop doing this. I hope it ends soon, but it doesn't look like it's going to. I need you to commit to a unity of love. If you are not connected to the life of our church, it is more imperative that you do that now than ever before. Because yes, people are dying, but people are also dying on the inside from feeling alone. Let's encourage one another. Somebody say, remember. Somebody say encourage. I hope y'all are loud in your homes. I need it right now. Number three, how do I experience the sufficiency of Jesus? Number three is simple. It's called praise. Praise. What Paul is doing in Colossians chapter 2 is he's actually praising Jesus for his supremacy. And that is leading him to be filled on the inside with Christ's sufficiency. The fastest way you can be filled from within with the power of Jesus is to sing praise about how high and exalted God is. Now, we're going to do that together right now. In fact, the band's going to be coming up right behind me in this moment to step into it together. But I want to challenge you with something. And this is why I am excited that we're not all together in the same room. I love this moment. Many of you, for the very first time in your life, are learning that praise is not something that is limited to church services. Last Sunday, I was in my living room tuning into church online, and it was so awkward to stand there with my wife and my daughters and sing songs out loud to a screen. I'll admit it, it's weird. But you want to know what it reminded me? It reminded me that for many of you, you did that for the first time, and it was weird for you, but it was the first time that you experienced praise in your own home. And you actually got to taste and see that, wow, I can actually invade the walls of my own house, of my own apartment with the praises of God anytime I want. Yes! And that's what we have wanted for you from the beginning. And I'll tell you this. You wonder, is Jesus enough? I have never experienced the intimacy of God stronger than in moments that I have been praising God by myself in my own space. 
This could be the coolest time that you've ever had in your relationship with God because you're going to be singing songs out loud going, wow, he's not somebody who stays in church buildings. No, we are a church without walls. We always have been. And praise is invading spaces that it's never invaded before. And so I want you in these days, don't let praise be limited to these moments that we get together on Sundays. Blast it in your house all day because you need to be encouraged in your heart. You need to remember the faithfulness of God. And the fastest way to remember the faithfulness of God is to sing about the faithfulness of God and remind yourself who he is. So we're going to sing about some stories where God came through in the Bible. And I hope that faith arises as we do. And I know it's awkward. I know there's no cool lights in the room that you're in right now. But I want you to stand up with a group of people and sing praise out loud to God. And I want this moment to transcend time and space like only the Holy Spirit can do. Do not let this season define your spirit, church. Let the Spirit of God fill you within. And let's go before the Lord and praise. Would you just stand up right where you are right now? Would you stand up? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. But I want you standing for this moment. Let's bow our heads together. If God was asking you right now, is Jesus enough? I want you in your spirit to feel that right now. Is Jesus enough? And whether or not you feel like he is right now, I want you to surrender. I want you to take this moment to say yes. I want you to take this moment to fill your heart with faith again. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move across so many boundaries across technology across this world God we need to be encouraged today we need to remember what you've done we need to believe more than that Jesus is greater so I pray in Jesus name that faith would arise and a group of people would believe out loud that Jesus you're not just greater than all you're more than enough in Christ we have been brought to fullness God thank you that you haven't left us alone. Thank you that you filled us from within. God, if there's anyone who hears my voice right now who doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray that they would surrender to you, that they would just say, Jesus, I give you my life. But God, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would recall what you have done and we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that if we're walking through the fire, there's another in the fire. If we're walking through the storm, we're gonna make it through. If we're walking through the valley, the good shepherd has got us. Remind us again. We remind our hearts out loud and we give you thanks ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing.